Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to the FIC Focus podcast, Macro Matters edition. My name is Ira Jersey. I'm the chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. With me today is also Anna Wong. She's returning guest to the show. She is the chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Economics. Anna, thanks for coming back on the FIC Focus podcast. Happy to be here, Ira. So uh, as we record today on the 28th day of July, 2022, we're after a GDP report, after the July Federal Reserve uh, meeting where the Federal Reserve hiked interest rates 75 basis points, but the market took Jay Powell as relatively dovish in his statements. Um, you know, Anna, I guess the number one question is, do you agree with the kind of the, the market consensus so far? And um, if so, why? And if not, why not? Well, um, Ira, there are a lot of uncertainties in the world right now, but one thing of which I'm certain of is that the Fed did not enact the second consecutive 75 basis point interest rate hike yesterday in order to get financial conditions to ease. Uh, seen in that perspective, I think Powell failed yesterday because the market got the wrong message. I mean, the market rallied when he said that the Fed is likely to slow the pace of rate hike at some point. And the, the market thought, thought that, that that's a sign that the, re, uh, the Fed is ready to offer up a Fed put, even though there really isn't much valuable information in that statement. He didn't say that this this uh, the, the downshift is imminent. He didn't say there, the word pause, even though our outlook for a Fed rate is relatively hawkish. In fact, it's one of the most hawkish in the market. Even we had assumed that the pace will be slowing later this year. And yet market ignored all the other hawkish things that Powell said yesterday. Some of the things that I thought are pretty hawkish uh, from yesterday me, yesterday's meetings are, number one, that the 75 BIPs decision is unanimous and that that is even though several forward-looking inflation and growth data points surprise on the downside. And second, Powell referenced the June dot plot many times. So what, what does that mean? Well, the June dot plot, plot says that um, even after this year, the, the Fed will hike two more 25 bips hike next year. And, you know, and that that dot, those dots were written at a time when inflation was was in June, like like it's it's looking worse than what we have right now. That's before this plunge in oil commodity prices. And now we also have growth, the growth picture looking worse than in June. Yet Powell said June dots are still the best uh, for looking guidance for uh, Fed rates. That means that the Fed, I mean, that means that that's like the Fed is now marginally even more hawkish than back in June. Um, and also that the uh, markets have it priced that the Fed will pause after December and even start cutting in the first quarter next year. That's not what that June SEP says. So finally, I just want to highlight that the, uh, Powell said the natural rate of unemployment, that is the unemployment consistent with price stability, is, quote, materially higher. And that actually underpins our call for a 5% terminal rate next year. 
So it, let's go back to what you said toward the beginning, and and I think that that's important, and and I largely agree with your assessment. You know, I didn't hear Powell as nearly as as dovish as the market seems to have, but you know, when the when the Fed chair says that they're going to slow the pace of hikes. You know, going from 75 basis points, and even if they start hiking at 25 basis point clips, they could still do that for longer, right? And and kind of fine tune where they think that the um, that that the terminal rate kind of needs to be. Um, so, you know, is there is there a risk here that the market is trying to force the Fed's hand? And and do you think that there is a possibility that with, you know, two negative uh, month, uh, quarterly GDP, negative GDP prints at this point, that the market will try to force them? And, and is there a risk here that we might see a lot more volatility because the Fed will ignore the market? Well, you know, I think the volatility would be coming from basically the Fed jettisoning any forward guidance. Uh, Powell said that he he's going to be making decisions meeting by meeting. He'll be very reactionary to data, and and you know monetary policy has a long, long very much. On top of that, the um, the rent measures in CPI lags real time development by you know at least six months. So you have like basically a super long lag if you are just reacting to the data you see. I think that's the key source of volatility, and you know. Uh, in terms of whether the what's the risk for the market? Yeah, I think the market is totally uh, um, underpricing uh, the amount of rate hike that could happen. I think Powell is telling us that there could be a, a lot more hikes to come. He didn't exactly repeat what he said in June, which is that we'll keep on hiking even if we see a string of inflation reports saying inflation is decelerating. You know, but remember, recall that he said that we wouldn't stop. We would just keep on hiking at like 25 bips. So the uh, in terms of recession risk, yes, I think today's negative GDP. I, I would not take any signal from Q1 GDP negative print because that's actually driven by uh, demand strength rather than demand weakness. But the Q2 GDP print does contain that signal that spending um, which is the bedrock of the U.S. economy, is slowing. Um, and if the third quarter's GDP continues to be negative, then I think that the risk of us being in a re recession this year is super high. But I still think that the, the Fed will look through a recession and continue to hike at 25 basis points because, you know, Right now we're seeing, and I know your group also agree with us on this, which is that there's a component of inflation that's very sticky and persistent and also not interest rate sensitive. So the, the Fed will continue hiking in order to beat down uh, and preempt uh, the unanchoring of expectations. If CPI ends the year at 8%, I just don't see how history would not judge the Fed harshly uh, for, you know, pausing. So I, I just think the whole concept of the Fed pausing at the end of this year, as the markets expect, is just a super low probability event. So talk to me a little bit about the GDP report then. You know, one of the things that stood out in the GDP report to me was the fact that you had this big inventory drawdown and uh, that, that detracted from from the the way that the Commerce Department, um, you know, creates the uh, calculates the GDP. 
And obviously, if if inventories get built again, that's going to be additive to GDP at some point in the future. So, um, you know, how important is the the inventory numbers in your thinking for for growth? And and do you think that people are a little bit too over their skis about um, it, which you've already said that that you think that people are a little bit um, too bearish on on the economy right now? But but uh, um, you know, talk to us about some of the internal details that you think people are focused on, and maybe what that the market's been missing. Okay, so the inventories uh, took away 201 basis points from the headline GDP, and that decrease was led by retail trade, mainly and general merchandise stores. So that's kind of, you know, that's consistent with anecdotes of Target's and Walmart saying that they have bloated inventories. But, you know, this category is very volatile, and we had very strong inventories build up last in the last quarter of last year and and you know the 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 way that um the 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 folks in walmart and target uh decide how much inventories to build for the past 15 years or so it's very like scientific and precise it's more reliable but ever since the pandemic hit that just sort of um you know, make it very uncertain because of supply chain issues. So it's possible that last year, late last year, um, Target and Walmart thought, oh, we should, you know, buy a lot of, build a lot of inventories in case China, uh, uh, you know, lockdown, because China was having uh, uh, COVID cases and they, they are still contain- continuing with the pursuit of zero COVID policy. So, and a lot of the stuff that Walmart and Target and these uh, general merchandise store sell are imported from China. And so, so, so I think that, uh, in other words, what I'm trying to say is that inventory swings could be a huge source of volatility for GDP uh, figures. This, you know, nowadays, given this uncertain outlook on supply chains issue, I would not take away like take a lot of signal out of this and also because there's also this shift from uh, consum- consumption spending on, on goods to services um, and um, that's that's another reason why um, the inventory swings is just doesn't tell you much signal of the underlying strength of the economy. On the other hand, I would pay more attention to what's happening to services spending. And the reason why the second quarter GDP is alarming is that even excluding inventories and trade, both of which are very volatile and especially volatile because we are in a pandemic, even excluding that, you see that spending um, uh, demand is contracting, and that that's the first time it contracted uh, during the pandemic, and and it seems like that the momentum towards the end of the third quarter is for even services spending to be flagging. So I think that's an alarming signal because the whole story of the of the uh, 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 the people, including ourselves, who has been saying we are not going to see a you know, uh, a recession soon is because pe- households are flush with money, that they're, especially the, you know, top 50% most wealthy Americans, they are spending it on traveling and services. And, you know, that story is showing some crack. 
Um, okay, so so let's then pivot over to your call for where the Federal Reserve is going to go, because like you mentioned earlier, you have one of the um, highest and and not and and pretty much out of consensus call for the Federal Reserve to hike the um, uh, to hike the federal funds rate up toward five percent. Um, talk to us about how you derive that number, uh, number one, and number two. Um, you know how you know what what do you think the probability is of that versus you know higher or or maybe a little bit lower where obviously the market consensus currently is. Yeah, so um, you know Bloomberg Economics, we 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 derive our um, rate outlook by uh, you know from from looking at a range of things, and one of our starting point is the Bloomberg Economics rule, which is conceived by our uh, research advisor David Wilcox, former Fed uh, um, division director. Um, so it's basically a modified version of the inertial Taylor rule. Um, basically, it says, um, you know, Fed funds rate is, is a function of the deviation of unemployment rate from the natural rate of unemployment and the deviation of core PCE, the, the average, the eight years average of core PCE from 2%. And that mathematical form of this rule is derived from a uh, Fed board staff paper that underpinned this uh, the 2018 monetary framework. So it has been a pretty accurate um, guidance for us, guidepost for us over the past year. It correctly, you know, foresaw the hawkish pivot in, in the Fed. But you know, the assumption is that there are two. The two critical assumption is that the natural rate of unemployment is four percent, and the, uh, that the inflation target is core PCE. But Powell has been pretty clear in his recent um, communications the last two months that um, the natural rate of unemployment is temporary elevated. And he, re he repeated that again yesterday at the presser. He, he said that it must have moved up it's quote unquote materially higher. Um, and drawing from Fed's uh, staff research, um, the, the the number seems to be at least 5.25, the natural rate. Uh, and uh, San Francisco Fed paper found it to be actually 6% even. So I just plug in 5% in the Bloomberg economics rule. And then the second change I made is, you know, uh, uh, Powell said that we're now paying attention to headline uh, because that's what the common American actually pay attention to, not core. And, you know, the very reason why the Fed constantly talk about core is because core is a good uh, measure to predict what headline is. The ultimate thing that the Fed is targeting has always been headline inflation, not core. And core is only an input but into you know telling you what the underlying headline uh, inflation at the moment you have a headline which is uh, persistently higher than core and that's 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 the you know it's the headline that will be causing expectations inflation expectations to unanchor that's why there's now this uh, you know heavy focus on on the headline and so once i put in that assumption like headline pce in in the in the equation it spits out that the terminal rate is actually closer to 5% rather than 3.6% without those changes and by the way so i'm basically saying that the the Bloomberg economics rule is saying that, you know, if we, we think about it as the typical normal framework, it will be uh, spitting out what the market is pricing or what the Fed really what the Fed June SEP has 
But if I make those two changes, it will say five. Um, so I think the risk is, especially since um, the market has consistently under forecast inflation, I, and I see a lot of potential adverse inflation shocks happening in the rest of the year. I, I think given the distribution of uh, forecast errors on inflation over the past two years, the chances are that we would be continue to be surprised by inflation on the upside and that 5% is what's needed. I, I just don't see how the Fed could, uh, you know, d inflation could, could get closer to 2% with real Fed funds rate being still negative. So that's where we are on that issue. Great. Well, thanks very much. And obviously, we've seen a little bit of market movement. Yields have gone sig uh, significantly lower since both the Fed meeting and this morning's GDP report. And then uh, the yield curve has given up a little bit of its recent flattening and, and uh, inversion bias. But if Anne is correct, then you could probably see two-year yields move significantly higher. In fact, our estimate of fair value, assuming Anna's, uh, um, uh, assuming Anna's call is correct, will be that two-year yields need to go up toward four percent over the next uh, over the next three to six months. Um, with that, I'll say thank you very much for coming back on Fic Focus, Anna. Happy to be here again. Thanks. And now we turn to our Fun Fed Fact segment with Angelo Monolatos. Angelo, what Fun Fed Fact do you have for us today? Hey, Ira, thank you for having me on. Yeah, so I, what I like looking at in the at Fed meetings that don't have a summary of economic projections is the uh, length of the statement. Uh, and in July, we actually saw the, the statement contract to only 268 words. Um, so just for some context, last year, the average statement length was 463 words. Um, and uh, we've noted that when the Fed does actually shrink the size of its balance sheet, it also has shrunk the size uh, of its statement as well. And in the last cycle, you saw the statement come to, come down to almost as low as uh, 250 words at, at some point, at one point. So uh, potentially a, f a little bit of uh, further cuts coming to the statement that's already uh, quite lean. And obviously we do this for fun, right? It, it's not really an indicator. It's more of, of anything yeah, yeah. in particular. It's just an interesting an interesting fact that when the Federal Reserve is doing things like increasing its balance sheet and doing QE, the statement tends to expand. And then as they've you know started to do uh, quantitative tightening, um, they they have reduced the number of, of words in the balance sheet. It's interesting though that you know they keep on hiking interest rates at, at a pretty big pace and that they haven't actually had to explain a lot. And maybe part of that, Angelo, is the fact that the New York Fed, you know, does some of the implementation statements, whereas when they're doing QE, they want to, you know, basically say, hey, we're doing something and we want to make sure that everyone knows that we're doing something. So they expand the statement. So anything else, Angelo, that you'd like to uh, uh, like to um, grace us with today? Yeah, that's a good point. So even you know, like you said, even when they announced the start of uh, quantitative tightening, that was accompanied with several other statements uh, and de detailed statements from the New York Fed for how quantitative tightening for treasuries would work, how it would work for uh, mortgage-backed securities. Um, yeah, so, so maybe maybe just sticking on that topic of quantitative tightening, uh, we'll see another um, 30, 30 billion decline uh, in the month of July, but that's going to be through uh, August 1st for treasuries. And then, um, yeah, on the on the mid-month to mid-month basis, we should, we should see... Um, 17.5 billion of the uh, MBS portfolio um, uh, begin to run off. However, we do want to remind listeners that the way uh, mortgage-backed securities settle, you you will see some 
at least some near-term volatility um, because the Fed uh, was purchasing uh, and still is making some uh, small uh, MBS purchases because, uh, yeah, if when when the amount that's prepaid exceeded their you know their their cap amount, the rest is uh, in MBS purchases. Great. Well, thank you very much, Angelo. And with that, thank you, listener, for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or guests or topics you'd like to hit on, please uh, reach out to us on the Bloomberg Terminal. I've been Ira Jersey on behalf of Anna Wong and Angelo Manolados. Until next time, be well.